0: Welcome back to the Welcome Dads Podcast, the podcast where three dads with kids aged four to twenty-six share their parenting experience and interview guests on topics related to parenting. This week, the dads once again interview parent educator Anne Marie Reed and also interview Jason Vogel, a local Cub Scout master, about what Cub Scouts can offer local families.
1: Well, guys, we've been shooting for once a month, and we have squeezed one in in August.
2: We always squeeze it in right at the very end, don't we?
1: Yeah. Now that we're done this monthly schedule, we're not so great about scheduling them uh, until we go, oh, wait, the month is almost over.
2: Procrastination. It works. Nothing wrong with a little good procrastination. How many of you have uh, waited to like, 15 minutes before your wives get home? To do what? Clean. <laughs> <laughs> Kids, quick. Put the, put the pillows on the, on the couch.
1: Do you have like that Life 360 app? You can actually see where they're driving. Like, she's getting off the freeway. Get the dishes in the dishwasher. Yeah, but
2: I'm not smart enough to follow that stuff. I just, I'm just like, oh gosh, she just pulled in. I heard the drive, the garage door open. I, we have 30 seconds to like throw dishes in the dishwasher.
1: Kids, I'm gonna go outside and give her a big hug and a kiss and ask her about her trip. That's gonna buy you guys seven minutes.
2: Wow, that's a long
3: kiss.
1: Well, it is Chris and Amy.
3: (laughs) We're very oh, talking Chris and Amy. I thought we were talking
2: Nathan and Amanda.
1: Chris and Amy, who celebrated a milestone anniversary. Yeah, 20 years. Congratulations. Thanks,
2: you guys. Yeah, it was fun. We went to Isla Mujeres, Mexico. We went there for beer and the Caribbean. And it is really nice. That is a really nice, like Cancun is like the Vegas of Mexico. It's these huge resorts and everything else. And it's just busy and messy, which would have been a blast 25 years ago for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is just, it's just way more relaxing and great food. And that water is just, it was 85 degrees. The water was. The water was 85 degrees. The water was 85 degrees. Wow. Yeah. So.
1: Favorite meal you had?
2: Uh, I had an amazing $9 Piece of lasagna, actually. That's a great. I hear Mexico's lasagna. known for that lasagna.
1: <laughs> Isn't that where it's originally from?
2: <laughs> I think it might be. They give me a little packet of sauce to put on the side of it. You know, nice. hot, mild, and fire sauce. So uh-huh. Excellent. Cool, if yeah.
1: you'd given us a hundred guesses of your favorite meal, <laughs> in, I don't think lasagna would have come up.
2: It no. Never would have guessed that. It's crazy how many different kinds of restaurants were there. We ate like authentic Mexican for three days, and then after a while, it was like um. Anybody feel like pizza? Like, I mean, there was just, there. Were, eventually we were just like, let's get something a little bit different. Good for you. Yeah. Thanks, you guys. Well, congrats. Yeah, fun. Thanks. Any
1: words of wisdom to our listeners who are uh, newly married or not quite at 20 years?
2: Um, get, Just get lucky. <laughs> Find somebody that you get along with and life just sort of seems to be a little bit easier. Who so, Who can put up with us. Who can put up with us, which Amy certainly does. Yes. Yeah. All of us. I can't believe it. 20 years, we still laugh a lot, which is good.
1: Yes. So. Amanda and I have talked about some of our friend group, like people that are a really good match, and your guys' name came up <laughs> as like, it just seems to work really well.
2: It's just a it's It's so much of it is luck. I really mm-hmm. like, think about all the girls. No, Mark never dated a lot of girls. He just, he married the girl he <laughs> liked. But like, think about like the people you did like, the girls you liked in high school and college. Like, I want to marry that person. And then, you know, you just don't know and. I don't know. I just, the fact that the one I ended up being with.
1: Well, you went south, but I'm pretty sure Mark went further south.
3: I did go further south. Where'd you go? South America. Oh, yeah. Yes, we were in Ecuador and Peru. And actually, uh, this was an early celebration of our 30th wedding anniversary, which is in November.
2: What? Yeah.
3: Congratulations. uh, Yeah,
1: we'll revisit that then and ask for your words of wisdom.
3: Yeah. So it was a... Spent a week in, in Ecuador with some friends that live there, and then we went to uh, Lima and Machu Picchu, which has kind of been a bucket list thing since I
1: saw it on the pages of National Geographic <laughs> exactly when you were a right. teenager.
3: Yeah, and uh, we, we made it there, and it was, it was as advertised, if not more. Wow. Incredible.
1: Most right. surprising thing about Machu Picchu. Uh,
3: the scale, the size, the um, attention to detail... These these Incas who built this were so far ahead of their time and probably ahead of where we are now. Incredible! Because, like it's all stone, right? What they're able to do with their hands and crude stones and create this um, exacting place architecturally, engineering-wise, mind-boggling.
1: Yeah, um, best lasagna you had on your trip. <laughs> <laughs> no mm-hmm.
3: no lasagna on the trip uh a lot of ceviche oh yeah good which is delicious yeah. you know being in these, these coastal towns you know lima right on the ocean and then uh, my our friends live in uh guayquil which is near the ocean a lot of seafood which was fresh mm. and just delicious what uh
2: what kind of ceviche What fish a white fish that tasted very citrusy yeah. uh-huh yep Perfect. I
1: will, I will say one thing about Mark when you travel with him. He doesn't ask a lot of questions. He no, kind of just, just goes along with the show. Go so with the flow. I can imagine him just whatever they put in front of him, he would eat it and he's the kind of guy that even if he doesn't like it, he'll still finish his plate. Yeah, that's a good
3: point. Yeah, and and the 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 friend we we're with, he's 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 a real foodie and so he would order the food, the wine, the drinks, the after dinner drinks and it would just keep coming and it oh. was all amazing. And you're right, Nathan. I don't like making I don't know that stuff very well. So I'm just very happy someone's doing it for me.
2: It great. And sometimes it's better not to even ask. Just enjoy it. Yeah. Your life can change in an instant. Car accidents impact all aspects of your life and lead to pain and suffering, medical bills, and time missed from work. Robinson and Cole, attorneys in Bellingham, can help. They have represented thousands of clients since 1979. They also handle other types of injury claims, including workers' compensation. Consultations are always free and are available in Spanish. Robinson and Cole, when you need us, we will be here.
3: We are so pleased to welcome back our favorite and most loyal guest, Anne-Marie Reed, who uh, is joining us again for, what is it, Nathan The fourth or fifth, maybe even sixth time?
1: It's up there. It's not quite double digits, but we'll get there someday.
3: <laughs> so Anne-Marie, thank you for joining us again. And uh, and tonight we're going to go kind of free form and just ask you what uh, what's ever on our mind.
4: That sounds great. Thanks for having me back.
1: And just a bit of an update, since we last had you on the show, you have retired from your role oh, yeah. at BTC as a parent educator.
4: Yes, I have. <laughs>
1: Congratulations on uh, reaching that milestone and thank you. <laughs> it, what's what's the what have the first couple of months been like?
4: Um just adjustment, you know, not quite knowing what to do with myself. And then once I became a grandmother, I became a grandmother in June. Life is much better. <laughs> so so nice to have that time with um my son and daughter-in-law and the baby.
1: And how lucky are they to have uh, a, a grandma figure who's a nurse oh. and a parent educator? I mean, oh. you couldn't really design a grandma with many different <laughs> other skills that would be helpful to be to first-time parents.
4: Oh, thank you, Mason.
1: Well, let's start with a question that I was thinking about in the last couple of days, and that is, for myself or our listeners out there who are doing our very best at parenting, how do we measure our success? I guess, how do we know that we're doing the right thing? How do we know that we're succeeding? How can we kind of uh, gain some confidence in this area of parenting?
4: Yeah, it's really hard. its I mean, we all wanna do our best and we know that you know being a parent is really important and nobody's more precious than your child. So we want to do a good job, but our kids also tr- trigger our emotions. So sometimes we'll flip our lids. Um, nobody is perfect. And to put that kind of pressure on yourself is unrealistic and not helpful. I would say it's not helpful to the parent or to the child to have that perfectionism. So it is, it's really hard. One of the things that, well, a couple things, I think if your kid seems happy and well-adjusted, you can take some solace in that, that you're doing something right. Right. And then the other thing, when I would second guess myself, I would always look at, okay, if I'm, am I doing everything realistically, not to an extreme, but realistically appropriate, and the worst case scenario happened, could I forgive myself? And if the answer was no, then I better change something up. If the answer was yes, then yeah, okay, then I can live with that. So that served me pretty well. That was a good barometer for me.
3: And Nathan, if I could just add a little bit to that, not that I'm the expert in parenting, but um, I, I do have the advantage of um, being able to look back with a 26-year-old and an almost 23-year-old. And and you get to that point where you say, okay, I think they're going to be all right. And yeah. so I guess we must have done a couple things to help them get to where they are today.
1: But in the moment, you were still panicked that you were going to mess them up, right?
3: Every single day. <laughs>
1: Yep. (laughs) And Marie, um,
3: with it being fall and and school starting, I'd like to talk a little bit about transitions for kids and and helping them with that. So if a kid's transitioning from grade school to middle school or middle to high school or high school to college, especially if they're going to a different campus or moving away, what advice do you have for parents on helping kids cope with those transitions? Because they can... They can be pretty substantial and kind of scary for a kid.
4: Oh, totally. It's going to depend on the child's age, you know, what you're going to do. I mean, there are going to be some overriding themes that are going to be similar for all the ages, but how you implement them will be different depending on the age of the child. But the bottom line is the unknown is scary. I mean, if you think about, you know, maybe you have a a medical problem, and you don't have a diagnosis yet, and you're worried, and you're not getting a lot of information about it, that unknown is really scary. And then you get an answer, even if it's not the answer you wanted, at least you have an answer and you can start dealing with it. It's the unknown that is so hard for humans, I think. And so keeping that in mind with very little kids, like whether they're starting preschool, or they're starting elementary school. Um, they need to be able to see where they're going to be at. So, you know, taking them, letting them play on the playground at the elementary school, you know, um, after hours so that they can get used to it, getting a tour of the facility, um, practicing, packing up a lunch in a backpack, reading stories about starting school, Um, things that they can do to help themselves feel more comfortable So little things like that, practicing ahead of time, talking about it ahead of time, letting them see things ahead of time. Um, With middle schoolers, kids leaving elementary school and starting middle school, I actually think that's the hardest age for starting someplace new. Oh my goodness, my heart goes out to that age group because they are so self-conscious, right? Right. They're pretty fragile, bless their little hearts. And so, again, seeing the school, being able to go into the school, you know, um, again, talking about where their classes are and, you know, which teacher is going to be teaching what. And a big one for that age group is going to be lockers. If there are lockers in the school and learning how to use a combination lock, get maybe buying a lock (laughs) and letting them practice with that ahead of time, that, that little thing can make a big difference for them. Um, High school, most, I think kids are a little bit better equipped to start high school because they've had practice with middle school. Um, It's different, of course, but not a ton different. They're they're used to going to different classrooms for different subjects. And then college, that's a big launch. That, That one is hard on everybody maybe parents more than kids. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big one. <laughs> um, I remember, I think I cried at most every day. I passed by Matthew's bedroom until Thanksgiving after when he <laughs> went away to college for my first born off to college, that was a hard transition for me, but he did beautifully. Um, again, you know, letting, seeing it ahead of time, you know, uh, getting familiar with where things are on campus, maybe, you um, just not choosing for them by any means, but just, you know, kind of discussing options as far as um, clubs or activities that they can get involved in that they might be interested in. Just a way to feel connected to the campus community.
3: Family for the, especially for younger kids, what are some warning signs that parents should look for that maybe things aren't going as well as they should be?
4: Yeah, a lot of times little kids are going to come up with physical ailments like uh, tummy aches and they don't want to go to school. Right. Um, it's, I mean, everybody, I mean, I think adults too, you know, there are times we just don't want to go to work. Right. And it's the same thing with little kids. You know, they just, maybe they just have an off day and they don't want to go to school, but if it's a pattern where they really don't want to go to school, they're complaining of tummy, tummy aches they're Maybe they are even, having the, you know, telling their teacher that they need to go home because they're feeling poorly. I think those are all potentially red flags and you need to be in contact with the teacher, see if anything's going on at school, certainly talking to your child, not grilling them. You don't want to put, you know, put them on the spot, but, you know, just trying to really notice subtle cues. Maybe there's some bullying going on. Um, You know, it's unclear, but need to to, uh, kind of delve into it a little bit more.
1: That reminds me, we had a elementary school principal on last year, Nick Hayes, and he said, you'd be surprised how often you assume the teacher knows what's going on and and they might not. That's right. So his advice to our listeners was reach out and just say, hey, do you know about this? And if they do, they'll say, I know about it. And then you can rest assured they're doing their best to rectify it. But if they don't know about it, then they can pay a little more attention to it.
4: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, things like bullying, you know, that doesn't happen in the classroom typically, not where adults are around. It's going to happen in the hallway, it's going to happen at recess, out on the playground, maybe in the lunchroom when there's less supervision, on the school bus. Those are going to be so that it's it, it can be a little harder to pick up on.
1: So, as a as a dad of who will be a third grader and a first grader this year, oh, gosh. when <laughs> we're sitting down for dinner, I often just say, how was school? And I get no answer. Do you have any suggestions for other (laughs) more probing questions that I can ask? Because I really want to know what's going on. And I just have trouble sometimes getting the information.
4: Oh, yeah. You're not (laughs) alone. I think that's super, super common. Um, I found asking, what was your favorite thing that happened at school today? You know, something but that they can't answer yes or no, we're fine too. They have, you have to be a little more specific or, um, you know, I think communication between teachers and parents is actually pretty good usually. Um, So you can kind of pick up on that. You know, I, I read in the newsletter or I saw on Seesaw that, you know, you are looking at this book at school right now. What was your favorite character in that book? Something like that. So just trying to be as specific as you can, or what was the the game that you played at recess today or who did you play with at recess today?
3: I'm sure there are lots of schools of thought on th- this topic I'm curious to know what you think about when when do you stop telling your kids what to do, so let, electives or
2: uh-huh.
3: um, you know, where they want to maybe hang out after school, and so when do you stop telling and how, how do you kind of navigate the advice giving. Is it, does it depend on the maturity of the kid? Does it depend on just kind of your track record with the kid? What, what, what advice do you have on that?
4: Yeah, I think you hit it all there, (laughs) Mark. You know, it really, I think a lot of it does depend on the maturity of the kid um, and how responsible they have shown themselves to be, right, the judgment that they have. I mean, we know that that frontal lobe, that judgment center in the brain doesn't mature until at least the mid-20s, right? So, you know, our pre-adolescents and adolescents, where they can seem mature in so many ways, they are absolutely still kids. And that judgment and impulse control is not fully developed. So a lot of this will be individual, but they have to have a chance to practice those skills, right? You don't wanna, I I don't think you wanna be the parent that is really dogmatic with a teenager, telling them what to do when they can be, you know, being too directive with them, not giving them a little bit of freedom to make mistakes, honestly, Mm -hmm. right? And then they go off to college, And they make a slew of mistakes in maybe very dangerous ways, right? Mm -hmm. So they need some practice ahead of time under the safety net of home where you can hold them accountable, not harshly, but you can hold them accountable and help them kind of problem solve ways to do things differently next time. Again, a lot of asking questions rather than telling them what to do, helping them discover it for themselves. So I would say in very broad general terms, Terms, you're going to start taking that approach probably maybe 5th 6th grade around middle school mm-hmm. um where you're going to slowly kind of move into less of a parent role and more of a coach role more kind of like a mentor role not quite as dictatorial but um you know well what do you think would happen if you did that you know I, um, how do you think that'll work out for you? You know, what could you do differently next time? Those kinds of things.
1: So, so Anne-Marie, as my kids age and what used to work with them as far as parenting and uh, is no longer working. Right. And so my question is, uh, have I forgotten how to do it or are <laughs> they changing and I need to adapt Different strategies.
4: Yep, it's the second one, Nathan. (laughs) Shoot. Sorry. (laughs) It means you have to work harder, right? (laughs) Yeah, just
1: when you think you have it figured out just enough, uh, it all changes.
4: (laughs) It does. They keep you on your toes. I mean, the good thing is, overriding themes are going to be the same. I mean, the way you're kind of your discipline philosophy, if you will, your parenting philosophy with a preschooler is going to be the same as with an adolescent, but it's going to be very different. The strategies that you're going to use with those two groups for, so for example, my, the overriding themes, you're going to want to be respectful and expect respect back, right? So mutual respect. Um, You're going to be try to mean to be positive. Um, And they're going to do the same thing with an adolescent, right? But the way you enact those is going to be a little bit different.
1: And so before we send you off, uh, could you provide any uh, resources as far as sort of these different developmental stages that our listeners might be running up against? Like, what do you do with a nine-year-old versus a 14-year-old? Do you have any specifics that maybe people could look into?
4: I really like um, Laura Markham's website, ahaparenting.com. I fall back on that a lot. I think she has a lot of good common sense and she's very positive. And her website is broken down by age group. So you can look at the age group that, you know, the child that you're working with. Um, there are lots of child development books out there. There's a series, and it's very old. It was written in like the 90s. Um, but I still really like it. If you can get past the dated photographs and the dated language that says mother instead of parent, you know, other than that, it's not like child development changes. And if they're easy reads and, and you can get through them quickly. And it's a series that starts with your one-year-old, and then it goes all the way up to your 10 to 14 year old. And I actually found them incredibly reassuring and comforting. And thereby, Ilg and AIMS. The public library carries them.
1: Great. Well, we'll uh, put links to those in our show notes. Okay. Thank you.
3: <laughs> well, anne as uh, as usual, we so appreciate your oh. your insight and your charm and your wit and uh, and just you know, your willingness to spend some time with us and, and talk about this topic, because it's, of course, near and dear to our hearts. We know it's near and dear to your hearts. And oh, that's it's, always a,
4: sure.
1: it's
3: always a pleasure having you as part of the show.
4: Thank you so much. It's my pleasure being here. Thank you for having me.
1: And congrats again on the retirement and thank the you. grandchild.
4: Yes, very exciting.
1: Enjoy that time. Thank <laughs> oh, you. Oh, I will. <laughs> Thanks, Anne-Marie. Thank,
4: thank you. Bye-bye.
1: The Interfaith Coalition of Whatcom County has a 40-year history of connecting people of diverse faiths to come together, serving our neighbors in need. On September 18th at Twin Sisters Brewery, Interfaith Coalition will hold their annual HOPE auction. Ticket information is available at the Interfaith website, interfaith-coalition.org. Please consider joining Interfaith on September 18th to raise the funds necessary to help provide housing and other necessary services to those marginalized here in Whatcom County. All right, listeners, Nathan here. As we are getting into the fall, we're going to spend some time on some upcoming episodes about learning about local organizations that your kiddos might want to get involved with. So this week, we are incredibly lucky to be joined by Jason Vogel. He's a Cub Master of Cub Scout Pack 4019 here in Bellingham. Jason, welcome to the Whatcom Dads podcast. Hi, Nathan. Thanks for having me. So since this is a dad's podcast, uh, why don't you introduce yourself, tell us how long you lived in Whatcom County, and how old your kids are.
5: I've only been in Whatcom County for about a year and a half, but I considered it a uh, kind of a a move to paradise. So I'm very happy to be here. Um, I was in Seattle before that and in Colorado for 18 years before that. So kind of following the job. Uh, I've got two kids: uh, a daughter who is six and is a tiger cub in Pack Forty Nineteen, and a son who is nine and is in his first year of the Weeblos in Pack Forty Nineteen.
1: And I introduced you as the Scout Master of Forty Nineteen. Tell our listeners what a, a Scout Master is.
5: That's a great question, and I think that we're—I'm sort of like constantly reinventing the position day to day in a lot of respects, but. You know, the master of ceremonies in a lot of cases, you'll stand up there and uh, help the meetings go smoothly, providing awards to the kids, um, a a lot of organizing fun events. And that's the most rewarding part for me is just brainstorming events that I think the kids will be super excited about, networking with some of the other parents who are excited about some of those
1: ideas and making them happen. So I understand that there's been a change in Cub Scouts in the last three or four years. Am I correct that Cub Scouts is now open to all genders?
5: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we are a, a, an all-gender inclusive organization. Now the national organization has formally um, included girls in the organization. So uh, boys and girls, and and from my point of view, all genders, um, inclusive in other regards as well. Um, you know it's it's uh, ethnicity, race, socioeconomic status. Uh, it's really just about the kids and all those other things I feel are issues that adults are concerned about that kids, especially kids in Cub Scouts, we're talking about uh, kindergarten to fifth graders, um, they're not really dividing the world up in that way yet.
1: so we we're just trying to be as inclusive as possible. And then the 4019 pack that you're involved in, what's the breakdown of boys and girls currently?
5: Yeah, the uh, pack 4019, we're about 50-50 girls and boys.
1: So, what are the goals of scouting? What are the things that you, as leaders and parents of scouts, are trying to impart on their children?
5: There's a lot of nuance we could get into there, but uh, big picture scouting, I think, is about community uh, first and foremost. Uh, It's a place where we try and teach our children to be good citizens. Um, There's a a scout law that has a a lot of sort of ethical components to it about being trustworthy and loyal and helpful and friendly. It goes on. And uh, we want to provide that ethical background, but life skills like how to um, use a knife or set up a tent or um, how to cook. There's There's a bunch of life skills that come in. Uh, and a lot of character development, just helping kids kind of explore themselves and how to get along with others, uh, personal fitness. Uh, we do a lot of outdoor activity and exercise, hiking, and really just trying to make friends and have a social environment.
1: And what's the cost for a Cub Scout to participate for the year? So there, there is a cost and that's uh, there's a, a,
5: a dues for scouting, which is $150 a year. Uh, we hold campouts, and those are uh, typically free, so you're not paying to reserve a site or for any of the food. Uh, we hold uh, e- at least monthly activities that are really fun, whether that's um, you know uh, building and launching model rockets or going on uh, hikes down to tide pools to go exploring the tide pools, and we'll generally provide lunch and snacks and and the logistics of those events. So there's a cost, but I think. You know, you're actually it's probably the best benefit cost ratio of any sort of kid activity you're going to find in Whatcom County. There are scholarships available for uh, families who can't afford to join Scouts, and that's actually run through the uh, the council. Um, so yeah, we're very open to making sure that everyone can participate regardless of uh, of the cost.
1: So could you give a quick list of maybe some of the activities that a scout might encounter in Cub Scouts?
5: You know, Scouts, I think, is sort of uh, famous for outdoors sort of activities. So we always hold at least a couple of uh, family campouts where all the members of the pack get together and, and we'll camp out together, do, you know, fires, s'mores, um, learn. You know, not everyone knows how to camp. It's it's funny because I've, I've been camping my whole life, but I just have to remind myself that these are skills that we're teaching the kids. And sometimes it's something that the adults themselves are learning from. But. An example of some things we've just done in the last year: we had a weekend where we took the kids snowshoeing um, up near Mount Baker. We uh, did a a tide pool hike uh, down to Teddy Bear Cove. We did a rocket launch out at the Northwest Soccer Fields, uh, and we got to build those rockets. There's the Pima Derby. This is an annual event that pretty much all Cub Scout packs do, where uh, you build a, a small model car and you race them against each other. But but often you have like a design contest, so the more artistic. Kids can try and make really cool looking cars. Uh, what, what I really like is that each adult that participates, each parent that comes into the pack, you know, can bring their own passion and and help contribute new ideas to what it is that we want to do
1: as a community with our, our children. So, Jason, as we close our time here, as you look across the people that you're participating in Scouts with, what are some of the common attributes that you find?
5: Yeah, uh that's a really great question um and you know you might get slightly different answers from people but i think some of the things that are most common are uh you know a commitment to a sense of community this idea that it takes a village to raise a a child you know so um, we're not in this alone we're looking for other parents that share a sense of uh, values of citizenship of service you know doing service projects and i think that's a really important part of it but another piece is is just wanting to provide a fun environment for our kids to let them enjoy the outdoors, to explore what it means to go camping or backpacking, or um, learn to uh, build rockets or, or go do woodworking—all these really interesting things that um, that we want our kids to, to enrich their lives, you know. And so,
1: I think that's that's a big part of what brings people into scouting. Jason, I understand your pack is having an upcoming information night. Would you tell our listeners about that, and where they could find more information or get in touch with you or someone else from the pack?
5: Sure. Um, we do each year hold a an event where we sort of invite the public into our meeting uh, to ask questions, to see what it's like, uh, see if it's something they might be interested in, if it if it meshes well with their family and their their kids. And that'll be Tuesday, September 20th at 6 p.m. at the FURS. So in the Geneva area, generally speaking. But if you email uh, cspac4019 at gmail.com, so that would be CS Pack 4019 at gmail.com, um, we can give you the information you need. And then uh, you can always feel free to call or text me. I'm Jason, and my phone number is 303-525-0832. And I'm happy to answer questions of any kind, whether it's just, where do I show up? um, Or I want to know more about uh, this or that particular aspect of scouting. I'd love to talk to you.
1: All right. We'll put those details in the show notes, listeners. You can find those there, uh, the email and the contact information for Jason. Well, Jason, this has been a real pleasure. Uh, I hope that there are some listeners out there who consider this and uh, can get in contact with you and see if this is a good fit for their family. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us tonight. Uh, Thank you,
5: Nathan. And um, I appreciate being on the show. And hello, all you other Watcom dads.
1: Quick update. After interviewing Jason, he indicated to me there was a slight time change. So the information night for his pack is September 20th at 615 at Noble Hall. That's located at 4604 Cable Street as part of the FERS complex.
0: and Jason Vogel for joining us. As always, thanks to our sponsor, Robinson and Cole Attorneys. You can reach their show through the Facebook page or email the show at gmail.com. See you next month! Why can't cats play cards in the jungle? Why? Because there's too many chias. What do sea monsters have for lunch? What? Fish and ships. Why don't leopards play hide-and-seek? Why? Because they're always spotted.